Thank you, Kevin and worship team. Good morning to you all. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open up to Philippians 1. Philippians 1, verse 15, excuse me. We're continuing our study in Philippians, continuing our study of this notion of can't, you can't stop the gospel. Nothing can stop the gospel. God is faithful. God will accomplish its purposes in this world, and nothing can prevent that. Amen? That's our hope as Christians. Friendship is a blessing from God. I've, I've had many friends in my life. I have many friends. I'm very thankful for all of them. My wife being my greatest friend, it's, so, it's such a blessing to have those in your life who can come around you and encourage you and support you when you need help. And just to have a friend, just to have someone to talk to is a great blessing. But one reality in this world is that you can't be everybody's friend. If you try to be everybody's friend, you're no one's friend. We live in a world where there are differences between people. We have different interests and different convictions, and those differences lead us to having different types of friends. You can't be everybody's friend. And that's a, that's a sad reality here in this world. Now in the next world, in the world to come, Everybody who we are with will be our friends in heaven. But here, there are divisions, and divisiveness is common in the church and in the world. And not only can you not be everybody's friend, also in this life, there will be people who don't like you. There will be people who do not like you. You might not even know the reason why. I remember whenever I began a job in Dallas, there was this guy who, from the very first day, was unkind to me. And I you know, you just don't know why these people are this way. This person wasn't my friend, and they didn't like me. And I know that you probably have those types of people in your life. And especially if you're a Christian, if you're a principled Christian who stands up for the gospel, and you share the gospel, you're bound to have people who don't like you. And in this life, it can get even worse. You can actually have enemies, people who oppose you, people who seek to harm you, People who seek to bring upon you suffering and misery. Going back to Dallas, one evening I was walking down the road that Catherine and I lived on, and there was a group of men congregating, and I went over there and I began to share the gospel. And one of the guys told me that if I didn't leave, he was going to go in his house, get a gun, and shoot me. Now I did not stick around to see if he was honest. I left. But there's those types of people in this world. And what we're going to be studying this morning in Philippians is kind of like that. There are people in Paul's life who want to bring upon him misery and suffering. Even the Apostle Paul found himself in that situation. This is a common situation that Christians find, them, find themselves in. And surprisingly, what we will see this morning is that these people who want to bring misery upon Paul are actually Christians. There are people in the church who want to harm other Christians. That's the, those are the ideas that we're going to be exploring this morning. Let's go ahead and read Philippians 1, 15 through 18. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, 
not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. That's our passage this morning. Paul's main argument is that not even factionism, divisiveness in the church, not even rivalry and jealousy in the church can prevent the gospel. That the gospel is still going forth even whenever the church is divided. And the main takeaways that we're going to see from this passage, the main way I want to apply this passage, is I want to teach you all how, in light of the gospel, how we are to respond to those who seek to harm us. Those Christians who seek to do us ill. How should we respond? That's the main question, the main applicational question I'm going to ask this morning and answer. So that's where we're headed. Two points for you this morning. The first point is the situation, right? The situation. Paul finds himself in a unique situation being imprisoned. And in this situation, there are two groups. We're going to understand there's two groups who are evangelizing in the early church while Paul is imprisoned. And the first group is mentioned right off the bat in verse 15. Excuse me. The, ver- the first group is mentioned in the, mentioned in the second part of verse f- 15. Some preach Christ, dot, 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 from goodwill. And then verse 16. These people who do it out of goodwill, they do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. These would be Paul's friends. These are those Christians who align with Paul's philosophy of ministry, who align with Paul personally, and who are seeking to fulfill the Great Commission. And they know that Paul is in prison because of his defense of the gospel. These people are friends with Paul. This isn't a difficult idea to understand. I'm not going to spend much time on it. These Christians are doing it out of goodwill. Now, the second group. The second group is the group that we'll spend the most time on. This group of people are ill-willed evangelists. The first group was a good-willed evangelist, and the second group was these ill-willed evangelists. At the beginning of verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. That's this this group of ill-willed evangelists. And then verse 17, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So there's two groups of evangelists in the early church. Some are doing it as a, 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 a mark of friendship with Paul. They're showing camaraderie with Paul. They're pursuing Christ and preaching him out of love and in light of Paul's suffering. But also there's this other group. And this other group is preaching Christ from envy and rivalry and selfishness. Now, there's three characteristics of this group that I'd like to explain. The first is that this group is they're Christians. Paul believes that these people who are preaching Christ out of envy, strife, and selfishness, he believes that they're Christian. Christians. Look at the very beginning of verse 15. You have this sum. Some indeed preach Christ from envy. And then again, but others, you have this two group, these two groups. Now, these two groups grammatically 
are linked to verse 14. Look at verse 14 right at the beginning. And most of the brothers. Brothers here is a reference to Christians. Paul is talking about in verse 14, he's talking about Christians. And grammatically, what verse 15 teaches is that these two groups, these goodwill evangelists and these ill-willed evangelists, these two groups are attached grammatically to this notion of brothers. And what this means is that both parties, in verses 15 through 18, Paul believes that both parties are Christians. These good-willed evangelists and these ill-willed evangelists. They're Christians. This highlights a very interesting point that the church can have, the church is broad enough to have people who are divisive against one another. One group is seeking to harm Paul in another group. But nonetheless, Paul still believes that they're Christians. The second attribute of these ill-willed evangelists, they're acting selfishly. They have sinful motives. Once again, verse 15, this group, these ill-willed evangelists, they preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Paul's talking about here motives, why they're doing what they're doing. Verse 17, they proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Once again, Paul's dealing with the motives. Now, we don't know how Paul knows this. Maybe as an apostle, he was able to discern people's motives. I'm not sure. But nonetheless, Paul is teaching us that these people are doing, and they're evangelizing, not for the right reason. They're doing it to spite Paul. Now, we don't know the situation going on. We don't know why they're doing this to afflict Paul. But nonetheless, they're doing the right thing for all the wrong reasons. And this idea is very prevalent today. People are still jealous and envious of others. People still do many actions, many good actions, out of selfishness. I think of social media and people who take selfies reading their Bible, and they post that they want to let everybody know that they're reading their Bible. Now, sometimes maybe the motive here is not really about reading one's Bible, but about letting everyone else know that you're reading the Bible, right? You're doing the right thing. You're reading your Bible, but you're doing it for the wrong reasons. You're doing it so that people think highly of you. That's what Paul's talking about here. These ill-willed evangelists are doing the right thing, but they're doing it for the wrong reasons. And these reasons are jealousy, envy, and selfishness. The motives are impure. So they're Christians who have sinful motives in doing evangelism. Now look at the last part of verse 17. They actually want to harm Paul. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Yes, Christians can act like this towards one another. Christians can even seek to harm one another. They were doing that in the first century. They do that today. They've all, Christians have always done this. We've always fallen into sin in this manner. Now, we don't know how or why these ill-willed evangelists' evangelism, we don't know how or why their evangelism would harm Paul. It's quite an odd thought. How is it, Paul, that these people proclaiming the gospel would actually harm you? 
Paul doesn't say. There's a number of different theories. One theory is that these ill-willed evangelists wanted to make Christianity more popular in the Roman Empire so that those who are, are governing Rome would look at Paul with more anger and would afflict him with more punishment. I, I don't know. And this is, this is an aspect of this passage that makes it kind of odd. We don't know how their evangelism led to Paul being afflicted. But nonetheless, Paul's saying that's why they're doing it. They're doing this to harm Paul. So putting all these three attributes, these characteristics together, we have this first group. So the situation that Paul is dealing with, there's two groups. Both are Christian. One group is evangelizing out of goodwill and love. They're doing the right thing for the right reason. And the second group is doing the right thing for the wrong reason. The reason why they're evangelizing is because of envy and jealousy towards Paul. They're seeking to proclaim Christ for their own gain. And also they're doing this in a selfish manner. And they want to afflict Paul more and more. We don't know how, we don't know why, but that's what they want to do. So two points of application from this kind of obscure point here. If you remember from our last sermon, I talked about Hebrews 10, 24. I believe, yes, Hebrews 10, 24. And in that passage, the author of Hebrews instructs us to consider how we go about stirring one another up in love and good works. Right? That's our obligation to other Christians. We have an obligation to love other Christians. And the way we do that, first and foremost, is we try to stir up in them Christ. We seek their best in Christ. We seek to stir up in them love and good works. And I mentioned the one way we do that is through our example. We have to be a good example to one another. Now, also, there is this notion of a bad example. A bad example. We can all think of bad examples, right? Who you don't want to be. That's, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like how that person acts. We can all think of this. And we, have to, we, we must remember that our actions as Christians have consequences. We don't just live in, in little islands disconnected from one another. How I act and think and feel will impact how you act and think and feel. So in the early church, these Christians were seeking to harm Paul. They were not obeying Hebrews 10.24. They were not thinking about ways that they can stir up in Paul love and good works. They were actually stirring up in him discouragement and frustration. And our actions have consequences for the Christian community. When we act out of jealousy and envy and selfishness, that does not obey Hebrews 10.24. That's the opposite of Hebrews 10.24. Rather than stirring up in Christians love and good works, at times we can stir up in Christians discouragement and dissatisfaction. And we need to be aware of this, that our consequences have impact, excuse me, our actions have consequence for the Christian community. And the way we act either stirs one another up for loving good works or stirs up in one another frustration and discouragement. Don't be a bad example towards Christians. 
Do not use your life to lead others to frustration and discouragement. Rather, use your life as a means of stirring up in one another love and good works. That's a general application. The second application from this notion of ill-willed evangelist, the most basic, we cannot operate out of motives of envy, jealousy, and selfishness. Those who do this, those who act out of these types of motives, who only are in it, who only are involved in church for their own interests, stir up disunity and factionalism. You can often, you, this, this idea of envy is, is very prevalent in all of our lives. Oftentimes, whenever we see others succeeding, we may, maybe our friend has a new baby, has a new job, gets married. Rather than rejoicing with them, we become angry. That we don't have those things. I remember in college, whenever I played soccer, this envy and selfishness would show up whenever I played soccer. I'd have a teammate who scored, and rather than going and congratulating him, I'd feel jealous inside that it wasn't me. And these motives are, are within all of our hearts. And the antidote to this, the way we should act towards one another, is not out of selfishness. We are not in it to get something out of it for ourselves. In the Christian community, in our church, our posture must never be rivalry and envy and selfishness. But rather, go to Philippians 2, 3. What is the answer? If we're not supposed to act that way, Pastor, how are we supposed to act? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Never, ever, ever act out of these types of motives, Paul's telling us. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Our posture towards our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ cannot be envy, jealousy, and selfishness. That divides the church. That brings factionalism to our church. Rather, our posture, our outlook, is to not insist upon our rights, but upon others. Not what's in it for me, but what's in it for you. How can I serve you? How can I lay my life down for you? Even if it means sacrificing. Even if it means being imprisoned. That we come not to do our own will, but to serve one another. Basic to this Christian life is loving our brothers and sisters. And basic to that is humility not looking to my interest, but to yours. What can I do for you, even if it means that I'm neglected? That's the posture. That's the application. That's what we want here. 
We don't want to be like these ill-willed evangelists. We want to be loving and humble. Not think highly of ourselves, but think highly of one another. Second point for you this morning. Paul's response. How does Paul respond to this? This is amazing. This is amazing how Paul responds. How does the gospel impact Paul's life? The first way that the gospel impacts Paul's life is this notion of apathy. Paul was apathetic about some things. Look at the very beginning of verse 18. You have these two words. What then? That's what the ESV says. Other translations might translate it. What does it matter? Translate it into English slang. So what? Or even, whatever. Whatever. Paul's apathetic about these people. Paul is apathetic that they are seeking to undermine Paul. Paul shrugs his shoulders. Well, you know, it doesn't matter. Paul is apathetic that these people are seeking to harm him. Now, what is Paul not apathetic about? Go to 3.2, Philippians 3.2. Passivity and, and apathy is important in some circumstances. But other circumstances, we should not be passive. We should be very forceful. And look at Paul. Look at the change of tone here. Okay, what I want you to notice is the change of tone. In 118, he says, So what? I don't care if these people are trying to undermine me and trying to harm me. I don't care. Now look what he says in 3.2. Look out for, those, for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Is Paul apathetic there? No. Paul's response in 3.2 is considerably different than his response in 1.18. 1.18, so what? 3.2, these people are dogs. Now this is the difference. The difference is that in 3.2, this group who is not the group mentioned in our passage, okay? The group in our passage are Christians. The group mentioned here are non-Christians. And these non-Christians are attacking the gospel. What they're doing, this group, are, are referred to the Judaizers. And the Judaizers are those who believe that circumcision is an essential part of Christianity. These, these Judaizers are attacking this notion of salva- salvation by grace alone. And Paul's response here is lively, we might say. He calls them dogs. And the difference is, is that in 3.2, this group is attacking the gospel. And in 1.18, the group is attacking Paul. Whenever people attack Paul, Paul is apathetic. So what? But whenever people attack the gospel, Paul gets very lively. And what all this means is that Paul cares more about 
the gospel than he does about his own life. If the advancement of the gospel means that Paul would be belittled and imprisoned, so what? So what? Paul is first and foremost about the gospel. And the way, the reason why Paul is this way is because Paul does not have view himself very highly. Paul does not have a high self-esteem. Paul views himself very lowly. 1 Timothy 1.15, listen to this. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. The way that Paul could get to the point in his life where that the gospel is everything and he is not significant is through humility, radical humility. Paul didn't view himself very highly. Paul had a very high view of his own sin, a very high view of grace. And in this life, in this Christian life, the higher you view, the more importance you attribute to yourself, the harder time you're going to have whenever people criticize you and act in an unloving way. If you're not a humble person and someone says something that they ought not to say to you, you're going to really have a hard time with that. But Paul's different. Paul does not view himself highly. Paul views himself very lowly. And the reason why he can shrug his shoulders whenever people are seeking to harm him is because he makes not much of himself, but much of Christ. And this posture is for us too. In the Christian community, oftentimes what we need is to see ourselves lower and to see Christ is higher. What matters is Him. So therefore we don't make much of personal offense or slights. We make much of Christ. And that's what Paul does here. Whenever people seek to attack Paul, eh, whatever. At least the gospel's going forth. That's Paul's response. And not only is that his response... He's joyful about the gospel going forth. Again, verse 118. So what? What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Now, is Paul rejoicing in the fact that people are being mean towards him? That people are trying to harm him? No. We, we shouldn't take joy whenever others are acting sinfully towards us. Paul does not take joy in that. He's apathetic about that. He's whatever about that. What he takes joy in is the gospel going forth. He's taking joy that these ill-willed evangelists are still preaching the gospel. And that's enough for Paul. That's enough for him. Even though he's rotting in prison, even though there are people seeking to make his time in prison even worse, who are seeking to afflict him, Paul has joy. He has apathy 
Paul's response is one of apathy towards others, but joy in the gospel. Paul has joy in the gospel. If Paul's own demise and his own ridicule meant that the gospel would, be, would go forth, Paul was okay with that. He ultimately did not care how or why others evangelized. That's the idea, and Paul takes joy in evangelism and the gospel going forth, even if it means demise for himself. Lots of application here for us. I have three points for you, three points of application. We want the gospel to take root in our lives. We want us, we, my desire for this congregation, this church, for my own life, for our elders, for the leadership, for the staff, for the deacons, is that the gospel would change us. That this love that Paul had for Jesus Christ would transform our lives. And here are three ways I want this gospel to transform us. First, the first point relates to this notion of sticks and stones. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. There's some truth there. And this is the truth. This is what Paul's example teaches us. That we are in control of how we respond to others. We are in control of how we respond to others in our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds. You are in control. If I act in a way that is unkind and unloving towards you, that does not mean that you have to respond in unkindness. You can respond in love. You can respond in joy. You can respond in apathy. Sticks and stones will hurt us, but words cannot make us act in a certain way. We live in this notion of a victim culture, right? If you say a certain thing, people have a right to respond. That's not Christianity. That's not Christianity. The Bible tells us to be slow to anger. That we cannot allow the actions of others to steal our joy, even Christians. When you are slighted in this congregation, you can have apathy towards that. Well, you know, at least the work of the gospel's being done here. You can respond in that way. You can have control over how you react, just as Paul does. Paul doesn't respond with anger and vitriol. Huh, so what? We are in control how we respond to others. We have to remember that. Other people cannot make us respond in a sinful way. I am control, in control in how I respond to my wife, to my family, to my children, and to other Christians. You do not have to respond in a sinful way when others sin against you. That's the first thing to remember. First point of application. The second point. It ultimately doesn't matter what other people think of us. Paul had these people, these ill-willed Christians, who thought very poorly of him. And in this life, it's a constant struggle to not care about what other people think. And some people have this problem more than others. Some people constantly go through life thinking about, well, how does this person think of me? How does that person think of me? 
really, really treasuring up this notion of popularity. Right? They want to be liked. And this is a danger. This is a, this is a snare. The book of Proverbs says that the fear of man is a snare. If you're constantly consumed with thoughts about how other people perceive you, how other Christians perceive you, you will be trapped. And Paul's response here is not that. How does Paul respond to people who do not like him? Who peop- to people who disapprove of what he's doing? Well, I really hope that they like me. No, that's not Paul's response. Paul's response is, so what? So what? And this is what the gospel does. The gospel shifts our eyes away from people and towards Christ. And what matters in this life is not how others perceive you. It's not how other Christians perceive you. What matters is how G- what Jesus Christ thinks of you. And for Paul, that was enough. It's enough to know that Jesus approves of me. It's enough to know that Jesus thinks highly of me. That though there might be people in this life who seek to harm me, other Christians who seek to do ill against me, who seek to do ill against you, that what matters ultimately is not what they think, but what Christ thinks. And this leads me to my third point of application. Sometimes in life, it's okay to say whatever. Sometimes in life, you need to say whatever. When Christians, when people, when you're doing the right thing, and Christians disapprove of you and they're acting unkindly towards you, the hope that I have for you is that the gospel would take root in your life and that you would learn to say, whatever. Oftentimes we want to fix problems. We want to fix issues with other people. But we are bound to have conflict in this life. We are bound to have divisiveness in this life. And for many things, you have to give it over to the Lord. You can't constantly try to fix it and constantly dwell on it. That's unhealthy. What ultimately matters in this life is not what other people think. What matters is the gospel. Jesus Christ. And when there is division and dissent among Christians, and when some are pursuing Christ, and they're afflicted, and they're, they're maligned, our response, your response, has to be whatever. We've got to channel our inner Elsa. Just let it go. Just let it go. Because this, this is why we can let it go. Because God is in control. God is in control. And we give it to God. And this is hard. And a lot of this, what I'm talking about, happens in the subconscious. Oftentimes it's hard to control how we think and feel in our subconscious. But this is where the gospel wants to take root. And the way it takes root in our lives is that we do not view ourselves highly, but lowly. I see, we seek to make much of others, not ourselves. That I seek to do that, 
and that you seek to do that. And that as this gospel transforms our lives, that we can say, so what? Pray with me. Father, we ask and pray that you would teach us, Father, humility. That you would teach us to love one another. That, Father, the gospel would so transform our lives that when we are maligned and we, when we are mistreated, we can say, so what? We can let it go. Father, we pray for the Holy Spirit to produce in us humility and love. Father, we pray for a posture of not selfishness, not envy, not rivalry, but one of love and humility. We pray that we would esteem you and others highly, and we would view ourselves lowly. Accomplish this in our lives, Father, and give us victory over our thoughts and feelings. For those who struggle with fearing man, comfort them. Fill them with a love of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would fill their subconscience, not with how do other people perceive me, but how does Christ perceive me? Father, help us. We ask and pray that we would see Paul's example and be changed by it for the glory of the Father because of what Christ has done for us and in the power of the Spirit, we ask and pray. Amen.